Hey guys, what's up? It is uh, week 111. Uh, I guess here we go. Let's hop right into this. First, I want to, uh, you know, address uh, last week I had the interview with Thralls of Metal, and I just want to address, you know, I was setting up like uh, for three people in an interview. The sound was rough, it was hard to peek out, and I just didn't have the time to to sit there and be meticulous with it. I should have done that and put it on this video. I want to apologize for the bad lighting and the bad sound. It just, it wasn't up to snuff and I want to apologize when I have interviews or with people, I'm going to try to, you know, bring the production up value up just a little bit, just fix the sound up a little bit with, you know, it's not, it's not easy, uh, leveling out three maniacs who are laughing and screaming the whole time. Um, also, I wanted to address that uh, the Pick'em movie is going to go away for a while. I still do have the names for the second bag, but I'm going to put it on a hiatus until September. I just need a break. I'm getting swamped, and I feel like I'm getting burnout, and I'm not giving the movies the appreciation they deserve, or the attention, I should say. Um, and I also want to let you guys know that the American Horror Project Volume 2 is still going on, so you have a chance to win that still. All you have to do is send an email to ScreamingToiletContest.com. You may receive some emails about um, you know other things you want to purchase merchandise yada 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 but you'll get a sealed copy of American Horror Project Volume uh, 2 and there's a promo video so you can check out what's in it but it has three films I reviewed last week The Child, Dream No Evil and Dark August I think all three are well worth watching you also get this tote bag so you can be trendy and go to the mall with your American Horror Project Volume 2 uh, maybe pack your uh, green groceries in there so you don't waste any plastic bags it's perfect for everything guys right so uh, yeah, that is uh, the chance. If you want, if you want to check it out and win that, because I think it's well worth your time. Uh, there's a promo video which I didn't have access to last week, so I think it will play right here. So Bob and I wrote an, a sillier track, and he put it together, and he made money. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. According to Box Office magazine, it went through a short period when it was going to be retitled uh, Child of the Living Dead, and then an equally short period when it was going to be called Child of the Screaming Dead. Hayes gained his first feature film experience working on the script for A Cold Wind in August, directed by Alexander Singer in 1960. Uh, it's surprising he only worked with John Ford once, uh, but it's a great one. It's uh, Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. He had a difficult upbringing, and he was raised by his grandmother and his uncle. His father died that he'd never lived with, and, his, uh, and he took it very hard. This town ain't big enough for the both of us. Don't laugh at me, bro. Don't laugh at me. All you Italians, what are the odds? Don't call me crazy. I, I would say this movement really started with uh, the move that Walter Ungerer made uh, from teaching at Columbia University in New York City and moving up to Vermont.
child, a terrifying thriller. Okay, hope you enjoyed that. The first one I'm going to cover is from Arrow Video, uh, as well as that American Horror Project was. But it is Ricardo Freda's Double Face with legendary actor Klaus Kinski. You guys know Klaus Kinski is a freaking madman. He's nuts, yes. And every time I see him, I can't help but think of all the stories I heard, you know, William Malone say on a podcast like the uh, you know, Shockwaves podcast and whatnot and other things like that. I think he was on the Joe Dante podcast too. But you hear all these stories about Klaus Kinski just being a madman. That still doesn't change the fact that he has a lot of screen presence from everything he's been in, from Venom to... To, um, for a few dollars more, all sorts of creature. I've actually not seen Creature. I just hear the stories about Creature, but he's in so many movies. Um, but regardless, this is a, a giallo of sorts, but it feels more like a police procedural. Um, Klaus Kinski is, marries this kind of rich uh, businesswoman. She's not really a businesswoman. Her father runs the company, but she owns most of the shares. Uh, she dies in a tr uh, like a tragic car accident, and of course, you know, this is like that kind of gothic kind of style, so you automatically expect that someone did a murder. So all signs point to the husband. They always do, or somebody close to her. Uh, the thing is, Klaus Kinski um, doesn't really have like a, a solid relationship with his wife at the time. His wife has a helper, secretary kind of that is always with her, that is a lesbian lover. It's kind of a front, her marriage. She's kind of a, you know, she's a lesbian, but she kind of used to have relationships with Klaus Kinski, so it makes it complicated. Klaus Kinski also has a secretary that he sleeps with that looks a lot like his wife, which also makes it a little confusing for the audience. Jellas are always like that, so they they kind of have these little confusing things. So after his wife dies, we have a uh, sleuth Klaus Kinski going around and trying to figure out what happens. And he starts to see this kind of snuff. It, it seems to be this underground film uh, kind of group where he sees a woman that has the same scar as his wife and this ring that she wears. So he starts to dig deeper in that. And he was led to it. It, was, it didn't seem like an accident. So he starts to dig deeper and we learn this whole kind of underground film society that his wife may not be dead and all sorts of things like that. But there's twists and turns and everything. The father-in-law in here I actually like because instead of him being at uh, Klaus Kinski's throat the whole time, like, he did it, he did it, he did it, and they hate each other, they seem to get along and like each other, and I was like, that's a little different for this. But then again, you start to suspect that one of them was up to something if that's the case, right? So uh, the music I enjoyed, it's pretty good. There's a whole appreciation uh, about the composer on here, and that is also, it's like 40 minutes long, and then there's an interview with her as well, so that goes into detail. And you know what else I thought was really nice was the lighting, and of course, the sets are nice. They're like a big gothic kind of mansions and stuff like that. They're not even sets. It's just their locations are really good. And I thought there were some decent tracking shots in there. Although this is the first time I really noticed like uh, shadows of a boom bike in an Italian movie. So there's that going on. Uh, the lighting is rich. It looks very gothic. And I was just like, man, I was impressed with like the different kind of, you know, the gothic feel that got in this movie. But it doesn't necessarily feel like an all-out giallo. Although it would be probably categorized by a lot of people as that because it has the murder and the mystery and whatnot. But it really does 
almost feel like kind of a detective story, which Jalos have that aspect to him as well. There is a Tim Lucas in her uh, commentary, which are, you know, some of the best out there. I love Tim Lucas. And he does a freestyle thing that he doesn't typically do. Tim Lucas usually kind of does scene by scene, and he does right in the beginning. He's like, I'm just going to, uh, people suggest I do this. I'm just going to go freestyle with it and go through the whole thing. Uh, Klaus Kinski is uh, pretty good in here. There are some cheap things about this movie, and you're surprised by the budget because there is cheapness. And usually the Italians are the best at making something super cheap really well. Maybe Refreda didn't have Mario Bava helping him out on here to cover up the cheap seams with greatness. But uh, the miniatures, they look very miniature-like. I don't mind that. I kind of like min I love miniatures, to be honest. So, But they're they're fairly obvious, and there's some really bad, I guess you'd call it rear projection, where they're, uh, Kalskinski and his wife in like a flashback uh, and their honeymoon are supposed to be on this like snow resort. And I was like, oh, wow, that is bad. That sticks out like a sore thumb. That sticks out like a, a sore chopped-off hand. I don't know how to, you know, but it was just pretty bad. Nothing to ruin the movie, but enough to date it immensely. Um, solid movie, solid uh, kind of crime kind of deal, nice twist and whatnot, and there's a couple, there's like double twist and everything, so I didn't really see what was going to happen. I just kind of stopped trying to guess what happens in these movies. When I was young and would watch stuff like Scream, I'd be like, who's the killer? What's the twist? Now I'm like, I don't care. I just want to have fun with it. So, you know, this one, I do, I do, a lot of these you'll watch, and then like two days later you forget the twist, you forget the endings. This is one I, I will remember. If I, if I pop it in, I'll know exactly what happens again. So that's a, I guess that's a plus and a negative because you can't rewatch it with, uh, you know, vagueness like a lot of the other Jellos, which I do enjoy still. I did spot a couple familiar faces, uh, one being uh, from the detective in this is in What Have You Done to Solange, which I believe is one of my favorite Jellos, or one of the best Jellos. I believe, it's one of my favorites, I know that, but I do believe it to be one of the better Jelly. So or, or Giallo or Gialli. That's an argument there. Some people say Gialli. Some people say Giallos. I don't know. Correct me. But regardless, Double Face, nice release of a movie I wasn't too familiar with. Ricardo Freda did a slew of other movies. Um, he pretty much uh, kind of uh, got Mario Bava his start in a way. And I can't think of the one... Um, Caltiki the Immortal Monster, which is half directed by Freda, half directed by Bava, and he worked, um, you know, with Freda, I think, as his DP and stuff like that, and did lots of the, like, camera tricks and whatnot. But yeah, that is Double Face by Arrow Video. Lured upstairs by the sound of what is meant to be an annoying pop song of the day, but which is in fact an original theme written for this film by its talented composer, Nora Orlandi. <laughs> The track Dies Araya was actually a rework from Double Face, but we'll, we'll talk about that a bit more later. Freda was brave enough to give audiences the story of a doctor who can only reach sexual satisfaction with dead women.
Okay, the next one is a new flick by Wild Eye, and this is High Death. This is actually the sequel to um, High Eight, which I loved, which was like this anthology gimmick where it brings a bunch of classic kind of uh, indie guys together, and they all have to follow these rules and shoot a, kind of like a video style kind of uh, deal. Um, but this one, high death, you know, so HD, whatnot. It, it, it was kind of a long process, and I knew that they were having trouble with finding, like, getting directors to come through with their movies and stuff and getting this in, and, and, and done on a decent time is what it seemed like, to be honest, because I, in the commentary you hear them talk about directors dropping out, so it seems like this one was postponed longer than it should have been. So, because you didn't want to strike right away. Because the first one I really enjoyed and mostly got positive reviews from what I remember. This one uh, has Todd Sheets directing, Tim Ritter, Brad Skies. I think he says his name like it's spelled like that. I've never actually heard it pronounced out loud. I've seen his name in a bunch of stuff. And uh, the director of, what is it, Sodomaniac, which is a crazy movie wild I put out. A rape revenge comedy, really gross, great lighting. Um, and uh, the other, uh, Amanda Payton. So that's it. You got five different films and a wraparound. The wraparound on a lot of these are terrible, especially when you don't have them all coming from the same filmmaker. I don't think I've ever seen an anthology that really worked if it wasn't the same group of filmmakers 100%. So I don't care for the wraparound. It's shot in LA and you could tell that it was like, we got to hurry up. Like guerrilla filmmaking is what it really looked like. So minimal coverage is, and I'm not going to hate on a movie for that, you know, because that sounds like something I would try to do. So more power to them. Uh, the five stories are as follows. Let's see if I can remember that. I always have a problem when I cover anthologies going off the top of my head if I can remember all five stories. The first story, um, I forget already. <laughs> okay, the five stories in here. I remember like two of them. I'll go through my favorites first. There is one actually directed by um, Amanda Payton, which is a simple story of a uh, DVD return to a video store. What's on it? It's twisted, and that's kind of a little spooky, and it has a nice little twist at the end. Not a, this, you know what's coming at the end, but the crazy video they watch is a little twisted. It's straightforward, and uh, the acting's decent in it. I didn't mind that one at all. Then there's uh, another one on here, which was probably my favorite by Brad Skies. He also did the wraparound. And this one is about an uh, actress trying to audition, and she forgets her medication. You know where it's going. She starts to have these casting directors that are absolutely awful the whole staff is terrible to her and she starts to kind of lose her grip on reality and her you know her anger kind of rises to the top this one is probably the best acted of the bunch the lady who plays the actress auditioning she's really good and uh some of the sound dips in and out you can hear some bad sound here and there i think this one's probably the strongest of the bunch uh tim ritters follows the story of it's got a very interesting concept, to be honest. The concept in this one follows uh, the idea that people are obsessed with true crime and they're buying these these relics from serial killers and selling it. We follow this this criminal who steals to buy these kind of uh, serial killer, uh, I guess, relics. I don't want to call them relics. I guess they're not antiques. They're trash. But um, so it's kind of making a statement on people obsessed with this true crime, this true crime culture, and people who are you know that make a living. I mean, Ritter's explored these kind of things in like the Truth or Dare sequel, Wicked Games, where he goes into like how people are like making money off the serial killers and stuff like that, and off other people's misery with the Cannibal Holocaust thing. How would you like it if people made money off your misery so this kind of is in his you know his ballpark and i was kind of interested i was like this has got to be ritters but unfortunately the concept is good and i i 
but besides that, I did not care for it at all. I thought, not to point out people, because I know that it, low-budget films, and in films in general, it's not really polite to point out somebody's acting directly, but I thought the acting in this was just absolutely dreadful. I thought it was bottom-of-the-barrel acting, and I thought the dialogue was fairly poor as well. That's just what I'm going to leave it at. I thought that a good concept was kind of ruined by um, really poor acting, and that's all I'm going to say with that. Um so that one was probably one of the weaker ones, if not the weakest. The first one in here, uh, the, I'm going completely out of order, was by the director of Sodomaniac, Anthony Con- I mean, It's Italian name, so I'm not going to bother saying it because uh, I'll mispronounce it. But I enjoyed his uh, actual, his previous effort, his film. I really like that one, surprisingly. It's dirty and raunchy and, and a rape revenge movie and the bad guys get what they deserve. So I like that kind of stuff. This one had kind of the same lighting scheme, which I appreciated. He has like these blues and reds and it looks good. Um, this idea was kind of a typical kind of ghost haunted like kind of area and some of it I liked uh the whole you know it's definitely like an A for effort, but the execution wasn't perfect for me. I thought that uh, the dialogue seemed a little when, when uh, I guess I'll say I don't want to spoil it, but the uh, antagonist of the the room kind of starts speaking. It's almost like, eh, come on, guys, that's a little that's a little too like edgelord cheesy. And I don't even know exactly what an edgelord is, but it's just that's what it feels like it would be to be honest, like teen angsty and but kind of dark at the same time. I like the idea as well. And uh, the execution's okay. I kind of middle on this one. Um, the last one follows is Todd Sheets, and this one it follows the story of an artist who's trying to. He's being kind of like uh, this muse telling him to paint these certain things, and he's obviously he needs blood and certain things to mix with this. This mixes some monster stuff, and it keeps talking about the old gods. It's trying to be Lovecraftian. I appreciate the concept again. I didn't love the execution on this one. I thought that again, it just kind of got to that like. You know with that line when you can go like dark and satanic and it can just come across really stupid and silly sometimes instead of being dark and satanic? And it, it to me, it was just like, ow. Oh. When the priest comes in and I was just like, I thought these were old gods. How's that like Catholicism involved? And I just don't know. And it just... I love Todd Sheets. You know, he's like the world's nicest guy ever. And I, I, I you know, I bought a, quite a bit of his movies and watched some of them over the years. So, you know, House of Forbidden Secrets is cool stuff. And the other one that recent was more recent as well, um, Dreaming Neon Purple or Purple Neon. I always mispronounce and mix those words up. You know, I appreciate those movies. This one, I thought that he went for it at the end and there's some gnarly stuff, full frontal nudity, which I didn't expect to see and some gore, but it just didn't really work for me. I just think this one's a little bit, uh, you know, it's a letdown from the first uh, big time because I really love the first I remember digging that the hell out of it uh, I don't want to be too hard on it because it's, it's it's a very low budget movie and I there's just a couple of the shorts in here that just uh, really just kind of pushed me the wrong way and none of the other ones were enough to elevate them as a whole so um, there's a commentary on here two different commentaries I'm making of on there so um, I, I would say that the one worth watching is the audition one for sure and if you want to see some kind of gnarly stuff the video store one's cool too it's some gnarly stuff check out you know Todd Sheet stuff and Tim Ritter's uh, concept is good. I just, maybe he can explore that in a feature length and dive deeper into that because I always liked how he played with that in uh, Wicked Games quite a bit. I think it was that Screaming for Sanity, two or three, one of the Truth or Dare movies. I can't remember which. It's been a while. But I do like his idea. He always has those same concepts popping up, like infidelity or people making money off a crime and other people's misery. So, you know, um, I do appreciate the low-budget filmmakers, and I am familiar with a lot of their um, work, but sometimes not everything works for me, and this, this one as a whole doesn't really work for me. Fantastic Flicks, home of the 99-cent rental. That was 
sick, Jordan. Really sick. Why do you like this stuff? Come on, relax. It's only a movie. Slate for the camera. Okay, the next one is a double feature by Mill Creek. This has got to be part of the 90s. I love the 90s. 90s comedy double feature. Mo Money and High School High. You know, this is kind of funny that I'm going to talk about these movies because one of them I was familiar with, a spoof, High School High, and uh, the other one, Mo Money, I hadn't seen. I had heard about it for years. Let's start with um, High School High because I believe I have more to say about that. Okay, this is a parody, kind of farce, making fun of like, uh, I don't know what even makes fun of those like school movies where the teacher goes to a school and has to make it better. It's over the top completely. John Lovitz comes from a rich family, kind of like a Billy Madison family, and he uh, is offered this uh, administrative job, but he says, screw that, I'm going to teach, because it's John Lovitz, and I love to teach people. And so John Lovitz, Love John Lovitz, by the way, to be honest. He was one of my, his era, when he was in SNL, when he was in Wedding Singer. Um, he's really funny. I love him. Um, even if the movies are bad, I always appreciate John Lovitz. So I had seen this years ago, and I always thought it was kind of funny. Um, I got to get into the cast on this one, to be honest. This is really what sets this movie, it made me like my jaw drop. It's a spoof, you know, in a similar vein of Airplane or Naked Gun. Of course, not as clever as Airplane or Naked Gun, but not many spoofs are. So John Lovitz um, is the teacher. Then we have Louise Fletcher from One Flew the Cuckoo's Nest and uh, Invaders from Mars 86 as the principal. Love her. She's a fantastic actress. Surprised she was in so much schlock, but I love seeing her every time. We have Tina Carrera in here as a teacher as well, which is excellent. Uh, very, very beautiful woman. Very good actress. And, you know, I feel like what happened to her? Like, she should have been in some more stuff. I mean, maybe she's still acting and I'm just missing the, the movies. But she was good, you know? Then we also have, um, uh, I can't think of Gil Gilmaro... Uh, Gilmira Diaz from uh, Half-Baked and Nowhere. He plays a kind of a villain in this. We have Micaiah Pfeiffer from the Dawn of the Dead remake and Clockers. So we're already on a good a good cast right here. And then who else pops up in here? One of my all-time favorites. Two weeks ago I talked about him. Nicholas Wirth as a goon, as Rhino. And uh, the other goon in this movie is played by uh, Boris from True Romance. So I was like, man, this movie has a huge cast and it's one of these movies I watch where I can connect a bunch of people. And not to mention Baron Munchausen plays John Lovett's dad. So it's like, this is such an amazing cast in this silly, spoofy movie. Um, the jokes, yes, they're outdated. Yes, they're for them, from their time. Yes, some of them probably be considered offensive. But I, I was laughing so hard. And at the most immature stuff, I thought, man, am I a... I'm a, I'm a dummy. Like, I started... <laughs> it's just like, I laughed so hard. I enjoyed it. Um... I mean, there's just some, John Lovitz and just is so funny and so silly at the same time. There's some really tasteless jokes that, you know, some people will be like, oh, that's so unclever and not funny about John Lovitz accidentally, you know, having sex with a cat. Okay. But then Louise Fletcher chewing the scenery, going over the top is great. All that kind of stuff. And there's this really funny line or this funny scene. And you know, it's not, it's, it doesn't sound funny when I say it. It's a, you had to watch it kind of deal, but 
Boris from True Romance, he's his henchman, and he pats down John Lovitz because they're kind of in disguise. Uh, Tina Carrera and John Lovitz trying to uh, act like they're drug dealers, and they stand out like a sore thumb. Again, there's that reference or that uh, little simile or whatever you want to call it. So uh, basically, Boris pats him down. He's like, do you work out? And then uh, he keeps patting him down throughout the entire thing, and he's like, hmm. <laughs> and he's obviously enjoying it, and he keeps cutting to him every time John Lovitz says something about it or somebody says something. He's like, hmm. Like, and it's just so strange stupid and the diaz says some line like i think we should kill him and do whatever we want with their bodies and again it cuts back to him and he's like mm. and it's just like oh my oh geez it's so silly and it seems like it cost quite a bit of money so it's just one of these school parody movies but you know i don't want to say it really makes fun of anything but there's so many movies out there like that what was the one with the renaissance man with uh danny devito or class of 84 the substitute or what's there's a bunch of these uh, standard deliver where a teacher has to go into an inner city school. So it, it's playing on that, uh, and it's 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 da- its jokes are dated. Maybe somebody who wasn't who didn't grow up during the '90s wouldn't get these. But the cast is amazing for what it is, and it's a lot of fun watching it to see a lot of these familiar faces pop up. Um, I really like it. I. Uh, I don't know if I can vouch for it for anybody else. I don't know if anybody's going to be like, no, Dave, that was a good win. But I think it's funny, and it's so, so subjective what people find funny. And, and, you know, I did see it at a time when I was young that was, you know, you know, nostalgia a little bit too. But high school high. It looks good, I guess. You know, it sounds pretty decent, and it has subtitles. So, yeah, it's uh, one of the Mill Creek double feature, not very expensive. Um, I think the movie's damn funny. As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I take a look at my life and realize there's nothing and lack in the power. Somewhere out there, there's a kid crying, Show me a consonant. Teach me pi r squared. Minds like thirsty little sponges, just waiting to soak up knowledge. assistant principal is still missing. No, brother, 24 chairs, $24. Oh, no, thank you. I already have them. I know it's deaf. What's, uh, what's whack? What's straight up booty? How was your first day? Not bad. Now, this is your textbook for the semester. They open like this. You know, you're different from everybody else. I mean, most of the boys I know just want to stare at girls' breasts. You know what I mean? Sorry, what? Don't you think the kids would enjoy a nice song with a melody? What you got, Holmes? Like a rhinestone cowboy. I think I may be reaching them. Okay, uh, Mo Money. This one, uh, again, I can't remember. This one was made in the earlier 90s, a little earlier than High School High. It stars Damon Waynes and Marlon Waynes. It's got to be an early appearance for Marlon Waynes. I like the Waynes brothers. I think they were very talented. Um, Damon, you know, was obviously the biggest one and as far as a movie career goes and starring in these roles. But Mo Money, this is one that passed me by. And there's like a lot of these like kind of 90s like uh, movies that have like this kind of comedy action kind of deal, like Nothing to Lose or Money Talks. And, but 
these movies at the time, like, you know, kind of inspired like by the Eddie Murphy movies, which are very funny and very like clever at times. But then there's like these moments of comedy. And Damon Wayans is kind of a scammer. His dad was a, a kind of a very uh, good cop. And Marlon Wayans and Damon Wayans played brothers. Their dad was a very good cop. So there's always this detective sticking up for him and kind of pulling some strings to get him off when they do something wrong. But they're scammers. They pull tricks on people to get money here and there. So he becomes, he works at a place because he's hitting on this girl and he starts to get involved with this credit card scheme. Uh, the guy who runs the credit card scheme is John Dahl. He's in a bunch of stuff. Uh, stripes, hey. But he is really intense in this movie and a horrible villain. Also, who works there? If you guys will recognize, uh, speaking of, uh, I just mentioned Billy Madison. You guys remember uh, Norm MacDonald and his buddy, uh, the two friends of Billy Madison? I can't think of this actor's name. He's in a bunch of stuff. He's not actually in a bunch of stuff. He's he's very memorable for a few things, I should say. And uh, he's in Billy Madison as uh, one of Billy Madison's flunky friends who you don't really know his name and he's not much he's in this and i was like yes yes i was like great to see him pop up and uh yeah this movie has these comedy moments and it's all around kind of like comedic but then the action scenes are like high stakes action like kind of brutal action and there's a couple kills and murders in this movie that are like right in the beginning uh one of this character is murdered and it kind of ties into like the credit card scheme and i was just like that was way too brutal for how silly I think this thing's going to get. So it's like that time back in the day when you could do a comedy, like a buddy-buddy movie or action comedy, and have like high stakes, you know, where people are dead and the action's like good. You know, Tango and Cash kind of has that too going on, but this is even more silly because Damon Wayne stops the movie, Marlon Wayne's and Damon Wayne's will stop the movie to play these outdated stereotypical characters where they go in to try to use the dirty credit cards and stuff and they have to, you know, put on a front to confuse the teller so they'll act like homosexuals over the top. And it's like, yeah, this is definitely from the time. Uh, a lot of people are not going to find that stuff funny anymore. And it's weird because Damon Wayne's plays a mentally handicapped person when he goes into a store and everything like that. Um, it's just so like these outdated kind of nineties tactics and jokes and things like that. But it's a decent, decent movie, decent thriller, decent, has some decent comedy in it. And it feels like, uh, you know, very of its time again, both these movies. And this one, I thought that Damon Wayne's, you know, he's a likable, uh, character for the most part. I thought the action was solid. I thought the bad guy was scary all around. It comes across fairly decent made movie that, uh, you know, back in the day when it would just be a completely average movie for the time. And now I watch him and I'm like, I appreciate these a little bit more. Maybe it's just in context or maybe I just, uh, you'll like movies from, back in the day just a little bit more than I do now so an average movie from then is a little above average now if that makes any sense but again uh looks okay uh sounds all right and there's subtitles so that's Mo Money and High School High Mill Creek it's cornbread open the door you didn't use the code the fat man walks slowly well the fat man needs to lose some weight Columbia Pictures presents Damon Williams hey what's happening bro what are you and Marlon Wayans. John, in a comedy about two brothers. Scanning your way off the streets. And into the big time. You like to see your jewels, please. Um, what the who exactly is that you'd like to see, gentlemen? That one. This one? You know, the big one. I like to be big. <laughs> They're on the move. Not one, not two, but three Cartier watches. Dinner at Lou Chow's. Yum, yum, dim sum. On the make. I wish I had an ice cream. Look just like you. I'd lick it slow from head to head. Fresh. On 
on the run. Sorry! Are we having fun? <laughs> and definitely, yes! On the loose. Little old You certainly have personality. This summer, two parts. Which one? I have. Why settle for less? So anyways, how much is something like this? $3,000. I need this. When you can have Mo. I got you a lawyer. Is he good? He's the best lawyer in town. For the money. Mo money. Your Honor, allow me to fumigate my wisdom on the defendant. Okay, the next one is from Vinegar Syndrome, and I haven't seen this since the Trauma DVD. And this is Night Beast by Don Doler. Yes, Don Doler directed other films like Alien Factor, which I reviewed probably a few years ago. Pretty cool, fun movie about escaped um, zoo uh, alien monsters running amok on Earth. Uh, he also did Blood Massacre, which I have seen years ago, and I remember being pretty crazy. He did Galaxy Invader and Fiend. Those last two I haven't seen. But this is my second watch with Night Beast, which is a completely ridiculous movie. Okay. Uh, you know, this. Uh, I remember Elric Kane recently was talking about this on Shockwave, that he kind of seen it because uh, the Nicolas Cage was watching it on Mandy. It was on the television, so, you know. Night Beast. Uh, Don Doler was a regional filmmaker, made low-budget movies, uh, only those five movies he directed, and he was kind of the same kind of cast. Uh, he was from Baltimore, so he definitely has that regional flavor to him, and his movies feel all like 50s movies, for the most part, made in the late 70s, early 80s, so they have that quality going for him, too. I do like that mixture, like things like um, uh, Night of the Creeps has that, or I would say um, The Blob remake, or... I want to see Killer Clowns, but Killer Clowns is like so spoofy and parody at times that it feels like it, but it's a little different too. I just like that mixture of those kind of 50s with 80s style mixture. Blue Monkey, that could be considered one, I guess. So, Night Beast. Uh, Don Dollar liked to make those kind of old movies. He didn't want to incorporate the blood and the nudity and stuff, but from distributors, he added that in there. So, Night Beast is a little gorier than uh, Alien Factor for sure. So the plot is very simple. Very, very simple until it's not simple. So uh, an alien crash lands on Earth. He looks like this giant kind of... Uh, his, his eyes don't move. His face don't move. No problem with that for me. I love that kind of stuff. And uh, he looks kind of like a big kind of turd in a way. Uh, similar to the creature in the willies that crawls out of the... He kills uh, the people in the bathroom. It's, he's similar to that, except he has a gun too, but he's big and gnarly and he's got a gun, so he starts to run amok. He starts vaporizing people. Within the first 25 minutes of this movie, there's 14 dead bodies. Some are gory, some are, he vaporizes. And I was like, wow, this... I don't remember being this good. The first act of this movie is amazing. It's vastly entertaining. It's super fast-paced. The sheriff and all the people are trying to stop him. Also, the sheriff underacts completely on how ter everybody in this movie underacts how horrifying the situation is they're like yeah it's just some sort of creature we got to kill it we got to tell the, the the mayor about it and then they're all like they know nobody calls the state they expect the mayor to do it and everything like that it's just like no call for state help immediately it's an alien spacecraft call nasa call the government call everybody <laughs> so, but still they're like well i guess we didn't call anybody and it's just like come on the acting you know it's amateurish it's not great some some's better than others and after the creatures uh you know running amok a little bit um we were introduced like george stover's in this he's in the slew of stuff all don Dollar's movie and a bunch of other stuff kind of a, a cult little genre actor so 
After a while, there's like this subplot with this uh, kind of mean-spirited biker. You know, he's a baddie. He comes straight out of like, you know, the 50s movies. He's like, don't give me the breeze, man. He's on a bike. And you're just like, what what's this guy doing? And uh, it ties in with one of the character's girlfriends used to date him. And he's like a strangler. And it's just like, this is not needed. This seems very forced. And listen to the commentary. They said they added that in there to, you know, get the film to pad the runtime, I guess, in another way. It wasn't long enough. So you're like that's so forced when I was watching it and then I was like it is forced it was forced and I, that stuff's not nearly as fun as the beginning of the film but I'm not going to hate this movie for that because there's some other things going on of course the mayor pulls a Jaws well we got the governor coming in we can't we can't we can't cancel my awesome pool party with 12 people we got the governor coming in eh I don't I want to get reelected. and the, the actual guy who plays the mayor is uh he, he was a horror host Gordaval and right when they said that in the commentary I was like oh he goes the wasteland i think i've seen that guy before so or i've seen pictures of him everywhere so that was fun i didn't realize that right off the top of my head either and so listen to the commentary actually helped and they talk about how night beast was actually getting made before this a night beast and it kind of failed and they only used some of the same shots because it was a different director and it just didn't work out so that stuff's all interesting um the movie itself is fun it is low budget there are some uh moments like lapses of logic where it's like you got to get out of here to his girlfriend and she's like, okay, I'll be out in five minutes. And instead of waiting for her to get out, make sure she makes it, even though there's a creep roaming around, they just leave and then she gets killed. And you're just like, and there's the, the, the scenes with nudity are like so forced in there. Like they might as well have been a shower scene and just cut the movie, cut to the movie. And it's just like a 10 minute shower scene, like looking right at the camera. Cause they're just like in there. Like we gotta have boobs, man. You know, the documentary made about Don Dora was what beast of uh, boobs, blood and beast or something like that so he's well he was well aware of this he passed in what 2005 i think so you know he's uh, he, he his stuff is all archival included on this and there is a commentary with him and george stover so he he seems like a really cool guy you know somebody that just wanted to make films there is a bunch of interviews with people on here cinematographer actor archival stuff so that's really nice they talk about jj abrams working on this movie or being involved with it which is really crazy to think too i enjoy it it's fun it's a b movie through and through it's a regional horror movie through and through very low budget good stuff though man I, I if you like this kind of stuff i would say it's like uh i don't want to say it's as good like as deadly spawn because that's one of my all-time favorites but it, it does have a certain feeling of deadly spawn even though i think deadly spawn is better at everything um but I do think this one's well worth checking out. It looks really good. It sounds really good. The score in this movie, I love the score. Like, uh, and listening, going through all the special features, kept playing the score, and I was like, I dig this score quite a bit, actually. And it, it's it's somehow sci-fi, but also a little emotional. It's a nice release, and it has that cool slipcover everybody seems to go crazy about slipcovers, man. More important than the movie now. But, yeah, Night Beast. Um, I check it out, but, you know, it's me. I love this stuff. I live for monsters. I live for monsters. I want a shirt that says that. And that could probably be misconstrued, right? But anyways, Night Beast. See it. It's fun.
great party. Okay, you know what the best way to follow up Night Beast is with? A Patreon pick. And you know what? JFK by Oliver Stone. I watched the director's cut. This bad boy was three hours and 25 minutes. Um, You know, I have a weird thing, like I always talk about, like, when they make movies off true crime, and then it's like, they kind of like feel like it's exploiting it, and then like the Ted Bundy movie or the Lords of Chaos movie, and JFK, you know... He plays with those, like, media clips. He loves the obsession with the media, like Natural Born Killers and whatnot. And, uh, you know, he play, he plays with your emotions. He likes to, you know, put his opinion where it should be. Like, not where it should be, but down your throat in a certain extent. JFK, okay. I, I'd seen some things. I don't know all the details about the JFK assassination. This is based on a true story about um, a Louisiana district attorney who wanted to uh, op- reopen the assassination of JFK and figure out what happened years later. And it goes on for quite some time. Uh, this has probably one of the best cast ever assembled on screen, to be honest. Uh, the lead is Kevin Costner, and it, everybody has, like, you know, Louisiana accents, and he's really good in this one. Oh, geez, I completely blanked to who. Sissy Spacek is his wife. Come on, that's a... And then you got Michael Rooker as part of his team. You got, oh, geez, Laurie Medcalf as part of his team, Wayne Knight, and then you have these appearances by people like Jack Lennon, Ed Asher, Walter Matthau, John Candy, Joe Pesci, Tommy Lee Jones, Kevin Bacon. It's just probably the best cast ever assembled Gary Ullman I just was sitting there and the people kept popping in and I was like oh wow and the you know I should be talking about the plot of the movie but right now but I'm just this is the thing that fascinated me most is and he gives these actors roles that they don't normally get. Um, you know, Joe Pesci, you know, he plays always angry or, or kind of comedic angry. And this one, he is very angry and kind of scary, but he has this moment where he breaks down and he goes through and he does this whole speech where it's like, it's an enigma and a riddle. Nobody even he goes nuts. And it's just like, he has this heartfelt moment where he gets teary eyed. And I was just like, that was a truly great performance from Joe Pesci. And it was a truly a delight to see him get to do something like that. Cause I love Joe Pesci. And I love the roles he plays, but it was also like, yes, yes. Like he has a little bit of that man on fire with Scott Glenn when he's playing the guitar and he loses it. And you see like a little bit deeper into the character and here you get to dive into this character. Well, he's not a good person, but you're just like, that is very interesting. Tommy Lee Jones plays this very strange character, a villain really. And the way he waves with the one finger. And it's just like, that's not something I've ever seen Tommy Lee Jones do, and I was very impressed with the performance. And to speak of this, I'm just going on and on about these performances. Jack Lemmon was so tremendous as well, and how he, he knew that what he should be saying and everything, because this whole movie is a conspiracy about the assassination of JFK. We all know that, that you know, like all those details and conspiracy theories, and I am not a conspiracy theorist. Most of the time I hear conspiracies, I'm like, come on now. Okay. I just don't believe them. I, I just have a hard, I just roll my eyes. Sometimes they're funny here, but a lot of the times I'm just like, Yep. So anytime somebody like, comes in with like a conspiracy, I'm like, oh, okay, all right, yeah, 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 yeah. But so also before I get onto the whole plot of the movie, I want to talk about John Candy. Again, another role that I don't think John Candy would get to play very often, and I love this performance. So Rooker also, man, love Rooker. But this movie, like the conspiracy theory and everything like that, his editing, like. The story unfolds in a way that I don't know how much of this is true or what they have discovered since this, but I legitimately was like, yes, yes, this happened. This is how it went down. Kevin Costner's right. I was on his side and I, I, I do believe there was some sort of conspiracy 
and it's just like get it without getting into details and stuff like that. Like I literally am like, yes, like I was intrigued. I he got me to believe what he wanted me to believe, or at least he wanted to open the people's eyes to this. And and that that's what comes into like I said about the whole basing a movie off a true incident to put asses in seats feels exploitative. But in this one, I felt like in a way it was a way to teach even if it is false in a way to open people's eyes to look into the case itself as what Kevin Costner wanted to do to the American people at the time. I think it's a way to open people's eyes to not even just blindly believe it, to look into it. And that's why I was very intrigued with it. And the flashbacks and everything they do in this, like I just was very, and there's at the end there's a courtroom scene and I was just so captivated and so sucked in and I saw all these, you know, Oliver Stone-isms with the editing and how a very Natural Born Killers editing were to be flashes with the black and white and at the end they just, it, it does work for shock value what they keep showing you, the assassination of JFK in the courtroom and it's just an excellent movie and it does the story where a man is losing himself and losing, you know, everybody around him because of his obsession with something but I can't imagine it wasn't like that. Oh, Donald Sutherland's also in it. How could I forget Donald Sutherland? There's a bunch of Frank Whaley. Just the, the, the cat. It's on. You know, it, it, you can't list everybody in this movie because everybody's in this movie. Uh, Prue Taylor. So um, it's just a. Uh, 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 kind of scary at the same time when you start to dig deeper and people are just ending up dead here and there. But great movie. Um, I thought that everything about it was excellent. I think it's perfect. I thought that I'm a performance guy. I love performances of people and actors. So when I get to see people do things I didn't get to see them do before and they knock it out of the park and it has all these different actors interacting, I just love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, so I, I was really blown away also by you know the presentation of how it got me hooked into it because like I said, I'm not a big conspiracy theorist, but I did get hooked on with the uh, movie, the um, what is it, interview with Assassin too, which is kind of involved this and that kind of stuff. So um, Chris Rivers gave me this on Patreon and he, I don't think he's given me a bad movie yet. And I'm glad I watched this. I'm glad somebody gave it to me because it's one of these movies. I know it's going to be good. I know it has, you know, uh, an importance to it, but it's just three and a half hours long and you got so much to watch that it's not going to be the first on your plate to watch. So I, I really like this one quite a bit. And, um, I know it's kind of weird to hear me talk about JFK, but, uh, yeah, I would love to watch it again and dive in deeper, but so many memorable characters and actors in this movie, and uh and the flashes and everything everything was just great about it loved it if i answer that question you keep asking if i give you the name of the big enchilada you know then it's bon voyage dino i mean like permanent i mean like a bullet in my head you dig does that help you see my problem a little better out of the corner of my eye, I saw a flash of light in the bushes, and then shots rang out. The whole cloak and dagger stuff, you know. They called it Operation Mongoose. It's gonna be okay, Dave. You just talk to us on the record, and we'll protect you. And I guarantee it. You are so naive. You found us in your office. We think the conference room is also above maybe the phones. I'm not cooperating here. I'm not cooperating here. Listen, there's a death warrant for me. Are the same people going to kill us, Pop? Nobody's going to kill us. Y'all got to get into your minds how the hell the spooks think. Now, they're not ordinary crooks. 
Think the unthinkable. Question everything. Now we're through the looking glass here, people. White is black, and black is white. You don't believe me? Hmm? All this time, you never believed me. I just want to raise our children and live a normal life. I want my life back. Dude, hey, look, on. this thing's bigger than all of us. Now, how many corpses is it going to take for you lawyers to figure out what you want? People got to know. People got to know why he was killed. You know what you got to me? I'm a dead man! Well, if they can kill the president, they can certainly get me. You're a mouse fighting a gorilla. You're close. You're closer than you think. There's going to be an attempt to kill you somewhere between here and New Orleans. And I say let justice be done over heaven's fall. Okay, the next is another Patreon pick, and this is Owning Mahoney. Um, yes, this stars Philip Seymour Hoffman and John Hurt. I had not really, I've never heard about this movie in my life until I got this as a Patreon pick. And I was like, oh, okay, it's got Philip Seymour Hoffman, John Hurt, sounds interesting enough. Gambling addiction takes place in the 80s. I believe it's based on a true story as well. So we had that. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, great actor, and every time I like think about him, he wasn't one of my favorites. I, everything I saw him in, he was good, but every time I think of him, and uh, just I'm like, I can't believe that guy's dead. Like I literally, it's just like I can't believe he's dead. Same with James Gandolfini. I'm like, I can't believe they're dead. Like they, they, I know they should still be alive. They were excellent actors, and they should still be out there making movies. And every time I think, it's just a shame. It's a it's a big shame. Now, now saying that, he, he is an uh, intolerable character in this for me. He has a gambling addiction. He works at a bank, so he's tempted. He's he's making all these bookie deals at first, and then he starts to go to Atlanta. They're in Canada. He starts to go to Atlanta to gamble after he starts to embezzle some money when he gets a position of power. Um. The, his bookie in this movie is played by the guy in Dances with Wolves, uh, who has the famous quote, I just shit my pants and you can't do anything about it or something along those lines. And he's great in this movie. And so I recognized him right when I saw him and I was like, who is that? Who is that? So he's great in this movie and he actually kind of plays in a little comedic scenes here and there. And, you know, they're the, him and his uh, partner are like the world's nicest bookie bookies in the world ever. So uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman starts to uh, go to this Atlanta casino where it's ran by John Hurt. And you see how the casinos run a little bit backstage, how they hook them in, how they give them things and how they make sure that if they're winning, they're not leaving with that money and everything like that so there's that going for it you get to see the back the, the behind the scenes of the casino and you get to follow philip seymour hoffman and it's funny is he has all this money embezzled and he's betting all this money and there's certain times where he's up and and he just constantly getting more and more money and you're just so agitated at him you just want him to take out one last lump sum and leave and he's the luckiest son of a bitch on earth too but the whole movie i was just getting mad i was getting flustered flustered i was like oh no 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 i was on the edge of my seat because i was waiting for something awful to happen and i just wanted it to end i didn't want this you know what i mean like you hate him for doing it but at the same time you just want him to lose right away and lose it all or win a bunch of money and get the hell out of there but you know with that addiction it keeps happening and there's a point where he like steps outside his body and sees himself 
gambling and stuff like that. It's just, uh, you know, it's one of these ones that will keep you captivated. You want to keep watching. You want to keep watching. You have to see what happens. It's a page turner in the terms of a film. Uh, great performances. Uh, John Hurt is a prick in it, <laughs> but yeah, he's, he's pretty good in it as well. Philip Seymour Hoffman steals the show. It's funny that, you know, he has millions of dollars on him at all times, but he still drives an old beat up car. Reminds me of myself. I drive a 98 Blazer, you know, cause I buy all this stuff. I'm like, I don't need a car. I just need it to get me to work so I can buy more of this, you know, and pay for my house, that kind of stuff. So, you know, people with addictions, uh, movie addiction, gambling addiction, drug addiction, I wouldn't expect their car to be that nice because uh, they're spending it on their addiction. I think the movies are a little bit safer than the rest of the stuff. But uh, I would recommend checking it out. It is a unique movie. Uh, good stuff. Mr. Mahoney has just become the branch's youngest assistant manager. Some folks believe everyone has a public life, a private life. Uh, give me all the home teams in the national. And a secret life. No, I'm not going to let you bet. For a few grand? It's 10300 What's this? A bank draft. Are you sure he can handle a loan of this size? We're going to do another 15 for a cash pickup. I... He's making some pretty big bets on impulse. That kind of guy. He makes 22000 a year. Where the hell does he get all the money? Um, you know, a higher line of credit would be a lot simpler. Okay. 200000 Hey, Dad, your cash is here to $300,000. $100,000. I just want you to know that my casino is your casino. Hi, Dan. I think there's been a mistake. Mahoney's coming down with um, $1.4 million. They just got the transfer. You got enough to shut him down? Yeah, maybe. You're saying we could be facing a serious judgment call here? Only if we know what we don't. Detective Murdoch, New Jersey State Police Department. I want to know who chartered that flight and where he's going. Dad. Yo, Eleven. <laughs> hey, just give me a couple more minutes. I'm on a roll here. Just say it, then. You just say it. I don't have a gambling problem. He's bust the table. Never stopped. <laughs> hey, winner. I swear, if this guy walks with nine million, you gotta pick up right now. Squawk out. Okay, um, the next one is the Weekly Western. Let's go. Why not? Fill your hand, you son of a bitch! Say when.
Yes, I'm an idiot, and I said it like that. Okay, uh, after watching, uh, listening, listening to the Pure Cinema podcast, and I had this movie for a while. I heard of this movie for years, and uh, Elric Kane was like, "If you guys revisit or check out one movie uh, in their um, pre Wild Bunch uh, podcast," he said, "Check out the Man Who Shot Liberty Valance." And uh, you know, I'd wanted to see this for years. Obviously, it's a classic western. I've heard about it for years, and I, I've, I've wanted to see it for at least, you know, a couple. So it stars John Wayne, Lee Marvin, Jimmy Stewart, Vera Miles. So you're like, oh, wow, that's a great cast. And then it has Edmund O'Brien from last week's uh, Dream No Evil. So, yeah, quite a different change for Edmund O'Brien, to be honest. Uh, Strother Martin and Lee Van Cleef. Can you beat that cast, to be honest? Um it's a black and white movie directed by John Ford. I hope I said that already who did the searchers. So I put this in and right away it caught my eye. You know, it looks beautiful. It looks so crisp. It looks so clean. And, uh, I was just like, Oh wow, this looks spectacular, you know? And, uh, they pull into a train. It's Jimmy Stewart. He gets out with his, uh, wife. He's a Senator. Everybody's like, Hey doing, there's like this sadness. There's this great sadness around from this old man, and they start talking, and he's there for a funeral. You don't know who's in the box. You don't know who's dead. And he's going on his way. And the newspaper men, you know, the classic newspaper men, that's kind of the way of the times, you know, the West with the newspaper and, you know, the legend and their concept. If you watch Unforgiven with the um, guy who's always, uh, Sal Rubinex, he's always trying to get that story. Um, so and anything, the, the Western's all about legend. So, and that plays big time into this. Um so they start to ask Jimmy Stewart what he's doing there. He's a senator. Why is he here? There's no big story for him to come to this small town where he was born and raised. And they start to talk to him. And he, he admits that he's going to tell them, Oh, Woody Strode's also in this. Come on, I can't forget Woody Strode. So he starts telling him that he's going to, he, okay, I guess you guys do deserve to hear this story, even though you. So he goes back and he starts to tell this story about how he came to this small town from the east and he was a teacher and uh, a wannabe lawyer and everything like that. And he was, you know, attacked by Lee Marvin and his gang, who includes Strother Martin and Lee Van Cleef. And he decided to stand up against them. And, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of like loves Vera Miles, who works in the kitchen where he works. They run this kitchen. And John Wayne is kind of like the local hero or the local, like, you know, stud or just the, the guy that's destined to be with Vera Miles and they have this relationship. So Jimmy Stewart and John Wayne have this strange relationship where there seems to be some sort of mutual respect. And at first, John Wayne's kind of like, yeah, yeah, whatever on this guy. He's good to him to a certain extent, but he also kind of looks down on him like you're just a tenderfoot. You're just a softy. And Jimmy Stewart refuses. He has this trouble with uh, um, Lee Marvin because of the robbery. And Jimmy Stewart is somebody that wants to follow the law and get everybody to stand up for themselves and do the right thing. Thing, no matter what while John Wayne will only do something unless it's directly involved with him if that makes sense so you have that difference between the two characters where it's you know John Wayne can do anything but Jimmy Stewart's willing to do anything so that's really interesting and you have Vera Miles in the middle and they're both kind of you know kind of fighting for her but it's like 
the whole everybody knows that John Wayne's destined to be with her. So this complicates things. Lee Marvin is a monster in this movie, and his gang is really uh, Stroller Martin's just laughing insanely the whole time. He's just such a goofy, goofy, perfect kind of character like that. You know what I mean? He's obviously popped up in stuff like a Peckinpah Wild Bunch and Ballad of Cable Ho. Just a unique character actor that can never be replaced. So. Uh, Lee Marvin is a monster in this and the, the guy who plays the sheriff is a coward a very funny lovable coward but a coward nonetheless Woody Strode is John Wayne's best friend he kind of always is, has his back so we have this like relationship and I don't want to spoil too much but the, the title of the movie The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance once you watch the movie and you realize who Liberty Valance is and everything like that and this movie ends with probably one of the best lines I've ever heard ever spouted in a movie and uh, it gives you chills because the meaning would change after you watch the movie because it's just a title but it changes a few times throughout it but John Carradine also makes a great appearance in here as well so you can't beat that cast can you so and it goes up and shows you like how Jimmy Stewart became this person and you learn who's in the coffin and you learn who is the man who shot Liberty Valance or who really is the man who shot Liberty Valance. It looks gorgeous. Uh, It's spectacularly acted, filled with movie stars and character actors that are beloved. Edmund O'Brien is the newspaper man and he's tremendous in this movie too. He's a drunk. Uh, Love him in this. He looked completely different than he did in uh, Dream No Evil, which was just a few years later. What, a decade later, if that? And it just looks like he aged 20 years. But uh, top-notch acting, top-notch script, top-notch story. Uh, it plays into the things of the, the Western talking about. It was different before the railroad came and the newspaper legend and all that kind of stuff I love. And, uh, you know, the uh, you know doing the right thing in the face of danger. I just think it's great. Um, it's a great movie. It's a great film. Anybody that doesn't think that, I don't know what to tell you. I just thought it was spectacular. And I want to thank uh, the guys at Pearson of a podcast for bringing it up again. Cause I was going to watch it eventually, but that was that push. That was that little push. Maybe it would have been five years, maybe it been 10 years. Maybe I would have get in a car accident tomorrow and I will be dead. So I will never watch it, but thank you. Uh, if you don't listen to Pearson of a podcast, you should, it's a really great podcast with Brian Sauer and Elric Kane, two great, really nice guys that love cinema. Um, probably more than anything besides their families, I guess. So yeah. Uh, man who shot Liberty Valance. Love it. Um, great stuff. my stake, Valance. Well, you heard him, dude. Pick it up. I said you, Liberty. You pick it up. And the man who shot him was justifiably destined to become a hero. Yet, strangely enough, only one of these people could be sure he knew the identity of the man who shot Liberty Valance. Now, you stay out of this, Donovan. He's been hiding behind your gun long enough. You got a choice, dishwasher. Either you get out of town, or tonight you'll be out in that street alone. Mm-hmm. 
Heard him say he had a gun in his hand, didn't you? I didn't say that. That ain't murder, Mr. Marshall. That's a clean-cut case of self-defense. Now get out of my way. This time, right between the eyes. Deserves got nothing to do with it. When you have to shoot, shoot. Don't talk. Hammer time. For all who are willing to pay the price, we invite you to go through the mirror of life. Hey guys, what's up? It is week seven and we're here to do another Hammer Whore. It's Hammer Time. And we're doing uh, 1961's Curse of the Werewolf, uh, starring Oliver Reed, directed by Terrence Fisher. I'd actually seen this one before. This isn't my first time uh, watch. I've seen it this before, one. Too. Yeah, I definitely think that we had watched this one before. Yeah. Uh, it was years. This is 61. Uh, you know what? I think the production values have jacked up on this. Like, I didn't recognize the sets nearly as much as I used to. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't see the same swamp or the same crypt or anything like that. Um, some of the interiors, you see some of the similar relics. Um, there's always those spiraling pillars in all these movies, I've noticed. That's definitely, they probably have a bunch of props that they reuse for oh, all this most kind of stuff. No doubt, no doubt. Yeah, just the pillars always stand out to me. Because I'd never seen anything like that before. No, not even in any other gothic movies? No, i never seen it. So you don't think it's a realistic piece of a... I mean, it might be. I just... I've never seen it. It looks like a snow... Not a snow cone. Like a like a soft serve. It just... Okay. Right up. Let's, let's describe the plot of Curse of the Werewolf. It's a werewolf movie. It's based off a book, actually. But I, I saw that in the credits and I was like, oh, that's strange. I didn't know the book. Mm-hmm. But it uh, follows the story of a, a woman who's kind of a servant. She's mute. She is uh, raped by a crazed old man who is turning into some sort of monster. Who's mm-hmm. uh, He's like a beggar and he's thrown into a cell on, unjust by rich people, which seems to be a pattern here that uh, Hammerhorn makes fun of rich people quite a bit. Yes. Like, what did Shakespeare always poke fun at rich people and poor people, but only the people that get the jokes? Maybe mm-hmm. Hammerhorn's going for that, like, that general audience, let's poke fun at the rich people, because how the Baskersville makes you really hate rich people. So oh, this yeah. one does the same. This king throws in uh, this beggar and uh, for, for no real reason, just because no. he asks for food. 
And later on, he throws in the mute who took care of this beggar all his life. And the beggar's crazed, rapes her. The offspring is uh, Oliver Reed. And he's kind of adopted by this rich man and his kind of uh, his maid wife thing. I don't know what their deal is. Mm-hmm. But there's something wrong with Oliver Reed. He kind of inherited that that brutish or a bruteness or animalistic nature from the beggar or the rape. So he's like a creature. He's a monster created by rape, which reminds me of the Humongous movie and Beast Within all at the same time. Like... And it's very strange. Like, I don't understand. Like, is it spiritual? Is it genetic? And this kind of deal. Well, they explain it, but... Yeah, they, like, there is, like, some explanation of the priests going on about, like, oh, there's spirits in the world, and sometimes they enter our lives. But then, um, the... The beginning, like, the beggar, he, he he's a werewolf or something. Like, he's really <laughs> hairy. And he's not, like, a dog or anything, but he's just, like... He, he has just, madness. Yeah, it's a madness. It's not. Hairy. It's not a werewolf. It's not lycanthropy or whatever. Yeah. You call it. he's just literally like but for gone no mad. Reason like like he's because he's just a normal guy for like the, all of the scenes and then like for some reason they cut to him and he's just like Argh. and like I understand he goes crazy <laughs> but I think going crazy doesn't grow you like. Facial well, hair well, underneath your eyes. Lunatic, eyelids. lunar, moon. I, but yeah, they I, never show him look at the moon, but it's just so weird. Like, yeah. he doesn't even look the same. No. Like, his hair gets long, but he's balding in the beginning. Right. <laughs> it's, it's like, okay, I guess this just, is what we're doing. But the, essentially, the first half of the movie is Oliver Reed is a young man, a young mm-hmm. kid growing up. And they, you know, there's like a loving family and everything. And this is the kind of love will cure the demon kind of going on. Natural Born Killers, love yeah. will cure the demon. But uh, that's that's kind of what's going on. They t- uh, he they realize something's wrong with Oliver Reed. Animals are showing up dead around the village. That's where that the per- the protector guy comes in. Is supposed to guard the sheep and stuff. And basically, he uh, grows up. The first half is him young, and and the priest tells him there's something wrong with him, and he has this animalistic nature, and there's some sort of demon. Mm-hmm. It's not really like any other typical werewolf movie. It's like passed on genetically, but at the same time, it's like a curse. It's a curse. It's yeah, Curse of the Werewolf, is which curse. is strange. Yeah. So, uh, the second half is Oliver Reed as a suave young man looking for a job and falling in love. But that curse comes back. Yeah. Which is a weird... Because there's no like catalyst for the curse. He just has the curse. Well, it's 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 like a metaphor for his sexual awakening, I think. Oh. Yeah, be, I guess that kind of makes sense. It's like his puberty. Yeah. It's got to be his sexual awakening, and you know what I mean, right? Because like it seems in, like he's in the party and and the sin. Like I guess you're thinking about it. He goes out to the party oh. and they're drinking and stuff like that. And remember, the priest says, you know, kind of like I don't know what basically, but I imagine that's because it's a it's sin. It's probably right. like the sin and sexual stuff, and it just all comes to a head, and that's his puberty, similar to the Beast Within, which is kind of almost a remake of the Curse of the Werewolf. Once I think about it, but just sleazier. I've never seen that one. Uh, well. He's not exactly a werewolf. He's kind of a cicada creature monster thing. A cicada? Well, he comes when the locusts come. Okay. All right. I don't know. It's it's been a while since I've seen it. The last time, it's been years, but it's a weird movie. Tom Holland wrote it. But, uh, yeah, this one. Oliver Reed steals the show. Yeah, Oliver Reed steals the show. It's Um, his breakthrough role. Yeah. Dr. Mortimer is in the 
very beginning. He's a villager, which was very surprising. Uncredited villager. Yes. And that fat guy, the other big guy that I keep confusing in these movies, is also in it as a prison guard. So I was like, they're both in this one. Right. Finally. The fat drunk. <laughs> yeah, he was yes. a drunk in the one movie. He was a stagecoach driver in the other movie, driving the mummy. It's just, it gets hard to keep track of all these characters. Right. Um, I noticed that a lot of the women, not to be like, oh, the women, they're not ugly. They are clearly, like, very British women that they, like, try to... Because this movie takes place in Spain. So they try to, like, make them more Spanish-looking. So they just, like, plaster thick eyebrows and makeup on them and be like, yeah, you're Spanish now. And it's like, I don't think that's how that works, but okay. So they just look weird. Yeah, everybody's kind of monstrous, like, in this... Like, like their makeup. Like, the the people in the beginning, I thought, were all really nice-looking. And then, like... When he gets to, like, the, the party and it's, like, all oh, the women, it's, like... The young women only. Yeah. Like, only they the splatter them with, like, this yeah. weird makeup and, like, their eyebrows. They don't do it to the British... The, his friend, who's clearly British. Like, he's right. Spanish. That's okay. But, yeah. like, the other girl's like, no, they need... They have to have these thick, fake <laughs> eyebrows. I don't... It's just... And the, the love interest is even, like, brown-faced the worst. Mm-hmm. Like, she yeah. doesn't even look natural. Looks no. just like an alien because of it. Right. But uh, Oliver Reed is... just turns in a great performance, a haunted performance. You see the tears in his eyes during the mm-hmm. The werewolf looks great. Werewolf looks great. And Oliver Reed's a stocky guy, so he Mm -hmm. has like the big shoulders. He's a scary looking werewolf. Yeah. Um, I I like the makeup on him. I I like his act. He's very... um... He reminds me of the Hunchback. At the end, yeah, it yeah, it does have like a hunchback. That, the whole ending feeling. is like the hunchback, but it's yeah. that all those movies end like the hunchback, right? It's the hunchback, um, Frankenstein, like the yeah. uh, Universal Frankenstein. Yes, yes, yes. Um, you know, it. I feel like that this set is more. Um, you know, like like their budget increase. I don't think that they're I filming so, yeah. on a set. I like. Yeah, they're like they're actually going places and, and filming versus yeah. before it was like. Well, we'll just shoot the swamp from this angle, and, and, <laughs> you know, and like, oh, we'll, we'll rotate this crypt. And it, Terrence Fisher was shooting two movies at once, and when the mummy came out of the swamp instead of Dracula, he was like, "Which wait, I'm confused." Right? Here. Cut, <laughs> Lee. You're supposed to be Dracula today. <laughs> I'm just kidding, but um, it is. It does take a little time to get started, mm-hmm. and it's like a character study, really. A lot of it, yeah, just studying and uh, Oliver Reed and everything. I, as much as I like Oliver Reed, I actually prefer the first half of this movie than I do to the With the little half. boy? It was like, Arr. Like, the, well, the little boy, but, like, I, I liked his, um, he calls him aunt and uncle, but his yeah. parent figures. I really yeah. like... Parental figures. Yeah, yeah their, um, their relationship. and yeah. yeah, I really like the, uh, the um, fake Sean Connery guy. Yeah. Yeah, he's yeah, he's, probably, he's my favorite character in the whole movie. He's probably mm-hmm. like this major actor in Britain, and I'm like Frank Sean Connery. But he's actually my favorite character besides Oliver Reed. I like just Oliver Reed. I'm just a big oh, fan. Oh yeah, and Oliver Reed does does amazing. Um, you know, I, I just I don't know. I, I like the the initial setup. The Oliver Reed parts as much as like Oliver Reed. I feel like it. You know, it's like two nights. He's like, we'll sleep here, and then uh, I'll wake up, and oh, I'm a vamp or a werewolf now. But I mean, it's not bad. It's, no, I mean, no. there's the there's a jump too. Like he moves into like working in the vineyard, right. and like the next scene, he's with the vineyard's uh, owner's daughter. Yeah, yeah. There's that like stupid smug guy she's supposed to be dating too. It's just like it, it's very typical, but also at the same time a little different. Like I love that it takes place in Spain because they made it look like different. Like I said, mm-hmm. that's why it probably reminded me of a uh, Hunchback, even though that's a, fr- a French. Uh, area. It's just like the castles and the structure is less like Britain to me. Right, right. I think, you know, it has its own unique style to it. And like, I think the first time I saw it, I didn't 
realize it was a Hammer film. I actually thought it was just a Spanish film. Really? Yeah. Wow. No, the Spanish werewolf movies have Paul Nashie in them. Okay, there we go. We got to watch a bunch of those. Next year, it's Nashy year. <sighs> year of the Nash. Does he have, does he have enough movies for a year? I bet. Yeah. Oh. We're not doing that. No, that's a solo venture. <laughs> um, I like this one. I know you don't like it as much as me. And uh, you want to do the books? We can do the books. All right, I'll do Tear on Tour. Thank I keep you. calling it Tear on Tour. It's Tear on Tape. Tear on Tour is like a bad rock and roll horror movie. I don't know why I keep saying that. What, I, what is Tour? I, the movie Tear on Tour. It's like a band on tour. I've never watched oh. it. It's supposed <laughs> to be an infamously bad rock and roll horror movie that I have a bootleg of and never watched. Okay, uh, this is... I'm going to look right at the camera. I'm looking here. This is Curse of the Werewolf. This is Tear on Tape, uh, the book. This is three and a half out of uh, four. Three and a half out of four stars he gave it. Oh, he even has a little Oliver Reed thing here about Oliver Reed, which I will read afterwards just for fun. One of Hammer's film's best movies chronicles the short, tragic life of werewolf Leon, the son of a mute uh, serving girl raped by an animalistic beggar who is born on Christmas Day and grows into a monster who menaces a small Spanish village. A loose adaptation of Guy Endor's The Werewolf of Paris in a different locale, this is deliberately paced and placed... Places an accent on character and incident with the handsome, brooding Reed, excellent in his first starring role and excellent Roy Ashton makeup, not revealed until the last ten minutes. And they got a little bit of a Oliver Reed in that makeup right there. Um, should I read Oliver Reed's little thing here? Yeah, go read this that. book was published when Oliver Reed was still alive, so it's got 1938 to. Um, he died in what 2000, 1999, 2000, right after Gladiator. So, this brooding Brit bully boy made his debut as Hammer's leading man before going on international success as a mainstream actor. He still makes the occasional horror appearance and brings to all his roles his peculiar, peculiar effective mix of whispery menace and beefy presence. And they have two faces of Dr. Jekyll, Curse of the Werewolf. These are damn night creatures, paranormiac, I think that is, paranorm, that is a weird word, paranac. Look at that. Paranoiac? Paranoiac. Is that a real word? Paranoiac. Uh, that's on the list, too. The Shuttered Room, The Devils, Ten Little Indians, Burn Offerings, The Brood, Dr. Huckle, Mr. Hype, Love It, Venom, Spasms, The House of Usher, The Pit and the Pendulum, Severed Ties. I've seen most of those, actually. Did we talk about the Devils? They mentioned the Devils. Okay, yeah. all right. That's probably his best. That's not a hammer, is it? Absolutely not! Hammer would be rolling in their graves. Man, that movie was banned. I love that That movie. movie has a lot of heat on it. Okay. So I'm doing... The updated edition, Creature Features, the science fiction, fantasy, and horror movie guide, Shockers, Schlockers, Blockbusters, Bombs, Cold Phase, Rare Gems, Classic Round Breakers, Gore Fest, Space Opera, Sorceries, and everything in between, is the full title of the book. Oh, thank you. Never say it again. It's by John Stanley. I guess. Okay. Out of five, how many? Oh, uh, okay. I was looking at the wrong one. Uh, the Curse of the Werewolf, 1961. Three out of five he does? Yeah, he gave it three. He gave it three. A shapely wench is thrown into a cell with an incarcerated werewolf and raped, later giving birth to a baby that grows into hairy manhood in this version of Guy Endor's The Werewolf of Paris, transported to Spain in the 1730s. Hammer's production values are high, and Oliver Reed is an excellent tormented monster. Sexual frustrations caused by Catherine Fowler finally bring up the beast in Reed, and he attacks. Directed by Terrence Fisher, from a script by John Elder, Anthony Hines, 
Yvonne Romain, Clifford Evans, Anthony Dawson, and Michael Ripper. They do on Laser NCA. Universal. Oh, okay. Um, Anthony Dawson. Hey, it's not the same Anthony Dawson, a.k.a. Antonio Maragetti. But, okay. Um, I give it 7 out of 10. I like it. Quite a bit. Out of 5? I give it 3 out of 5. You 6 out of 10, then? 5 and a half out of 10. 5 and a half out of 10? That's alright. You like it better than uh, Two Faces of Dr. Jekyll? Yes. Yeah. That's the worst one, you think? Or Abominable Snowman? Abominable Snowman. Oof. I mean, the Jekyll wasn't bad. It yeah, was none just, of them have been bad. Yeah, none of them boring. Have, none of them made it under five, I don't think. I re- I, you know, I really like the first half of um, Curse of the Werewolf. And I really like Oliver Reed's performance. Yeah, that's why it's a seven. It's great. Yeah, but you don't see Oliver Reed until like the hour and a half mark. But you like the first half anyway, so why are you complaining? Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, like you the first half better, but you don't see Oliver... the final like one tenth. Yeah, um, there needs to be more werewolf action. Needs to be more werewolf. I think they probably could have cut up the beginning a bit quicker. It's only an hour thirty what bit. Is it? So, I, I feel like the, the introduction is, you know, a good 30. I feel like each section is... Like a 30 minute I do thing. feel that the opening with the whole explanation of how he's... Right. It's really long. Yeah. Because you have from the like initial town to when the when she gives birth to the baby. Yeah, three time, yeah, three time li- like. Yeah, you do have three timelines. Then you have him as a child and then him as an adult. Which, I mean, it's good. It's not my favorite, but it's not bad. And I think... I wish there was another werewolf movie. Yeah. I wish there was a damn creature movie, but that would make no sense because the first creature was in 54. They were still making creature movies. <laughs> I, I don't know when the last creature movie was there, but still, they're not going to be the, the rights of the creature. Well, the creature is Universal's yeah, creation. Yeah. Isn't and that's it? 54 yeah. was the first one, so it's like he was still strong. Yeah, like they can come like... They can do werewolves, thing. they can do mommy, mummies, um, they can do Dra- Dracula and Frankenstein or Public Domain. Phantom, all that stuff. So. What about like Fishmonger or like? They know. have one called the Reptile, which I'm interested in seeing. That's coming up. Is that one coming up? Yeah, they got not till like 1970. They got all sorts of weird ones coming up. They got Rasputin, the Mad Monk, the Reptile, um, uh, the Gorgon. When do we get to do? Uh, oh, the Gorgon would be fun. Yeah. I love. I I can talk a lot about Gorgons. I think the Gorgon or. The Phantom of the Opera is coming up. Next. I was going to say because I'm excited for the fan because I've seen that one before too, yeah. and I think we, I love Herbert Lom. I love Herbert Lom. Isn't the girl that's beloved interest in this? Is she Christine Dye in the Phantom? We'll have to see. I don't know. It's hard. I, I am guilty of not being able to keep track of like the lesser um, actresses from Hammer. Yeah, so, so the actresses but, I think are but, hard to tell because but like Brick Eklund and like Ingrid Pitt, like yeah, they stand out. Right. Like the big big British actresses stand out to me, but some of the lessers I'm just having trouble. Well, and I think it's because they like. But I'm having trouble with some of the guys, too. I don't remember their names. I just remember Lee and Cushing because right. they overshadow everybody so much. Oh, well, yeah. I don't know Mortimer's name. Like, no. Mortimer is it's the wolf. Ca- something wolf. Something wolf. He's the character. We call him Mortimer because that's what he was. His character name in the Sherlock. Yeah. Hounds. Hounds. I think that that one's the top three. That Quatermass. That was Mass, a really I, good one. I really like it. So, that um, Quatermass 2. And um, was there another one I really liked? Was Two have probably been my favorite so far. Frankenstein, the first one? No, I didn't like the first Frankenstein. I didn't dislike it, but... Um, oh, um... The second Dracula. Second Dracula. Dracula. So, um, I think uh, we're good. Um, 
Let's mm-hmm. roll that beautiful werewolf footage trailer thing. Don't do it! The curse of the werewolf that was laid on a baby who grew into a man possessed by a monster. Spanish town, the night brought drinking and dancing, music and girls, and the moon. The full moon that turned an innocent man into a savage beast. The curse of the werewolf, a man possessed by a desperate need for love, who found in Christina all the passionate sincerity of youth. Christina, do you love me? Will you marry me, Christina? You say you love me, will you marry me? I guess we're going to hop into the questions here. Uh, Peter England, which I forgot to ask last time. Sorry about that. He says, have I ever seen the 1986 miniseries TV movie, The Deliberate Stranger, Stranger about Ted Bundy? No, I have not. He highly recommends it. It's not the first, but I've heard he, Mark Harmon does a, a spectacular job in that movie. Many people have said that is probably the best portrayal of Bundy. So I'll have to check that out. Nick Mua, what is your number one pet peeve? You know, probably comes to road rage because I have terrible road rage. I don't, if people... Okay, this drives me nuts. Use your people that don't use their blinker, like on the expressway. Use your blinker. I'll let you over. I don't care. I don't care if it's gonna cost me a couple minutes in time or thirty seconds. But if you don't use your blinker, I'm not letting you over. I'll die first. That's how stubborn I get. Just use your blinker. It's always just a flick. I'll let you over. Why not use the blinker? You see, I'm stubborn too, though. And the people that they pull up next to you, there's two lanes. This their lane in the right. They can turn, which they should be, or their lane ends in seconds. They'll try to speed up and cut everybody off. Like, or some people that do that in traffic that will jump over the edge and like cut a bunch of people off and stuff like that. Like their time's more important than everybody else's. I hate it. Pay attention. Don't do that. You're a jerk. That's my number one pet peeve. If you're talking about movies, uh, I could change that. But if you got really famous really fast, would your personality change much, uh, do you think? I don't know if I, I can say that. I'm sure that I would probably do a lot of things different. I would be making movies full time. And probably this somewhat to a better capacity, maybe, maybe just a podcast. I don't know. I probably, my personality might change a little bit. Um, I'm pretty blunt, um, not to be rude. And sometimes I'm short, but I don't mean to be rude. Um, that might just be amplified. Are you excited at all about Artie Esther's hereditary, um, upcoming film, uh, Midsummer? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued. I'll check it out for sure. I thought Hereditary was very interesting and I enjoyed it. I only got to watch it the one time and those movies are definitely meant for multiple viewings. So yeah, I'm excited to check it out. 
And uh, what else we got? Tempo Tapas. Did either of the week's Hammer films feature the classic Swamp set? I don't think so, actually. I don't. I think we were swamp free this time, and I think this week was swamp free too. Huh, so maybe the swamp's going away. They made me a liar after that. Uh, answers. Peter England. This I forgot to say his uh, heavy metal movie like two weeks ago. Demons. Uh, Nick Mua. I really like a lot of horror coming out. Uh, I asked what your favorite regional horror film was. Uh, I really like a lot of the horror coming out of Scotland in recent years. They might not have the budget, but man, are their movies effective and haunting. Laurie Brewster's Lords of Tears um, is just so uh, is just one such movie, The Stuff of Nightmares. I actually saw Lords of Tears a while ago, and I don't remember much about it. I saw like the first pressing. I thought it was pretty creepy, actually. I saw it when it came out. And I bought the other movies, and I donated to the new Kickstarter, and I haven't watched On Kindness of Ravens or the uh, the other one. And then the new one's coming out. It should be shipped soon. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to checking all those out. Uh, Bumpus Hounds, favorite regional horror flick? The Pit. They eat meat. I know. Love it. Tempo Tapas, as for last week's question, I second the idea of a series on Vinegar Syndrome or made-for-TV movies. I also think A Year of Noir or Westerns would be exciting. That was a, a weaker, older kind of question from last week or the week before. Whatever, guys. But he wants. I said, what do you guys want me to do for after the hammer whore is over? Uh, question of the week. I just want to know what your last perfect movie you saw was. What was the last 5 out of 5 or 10 out of 10 you saw? It could be old. It could be new. It could be now. It doesn't matter, okay? Just let me know what the last 10 out of 10 or 5 out of 5 movie you saw was, okay? We're going to hop into the update. Alright, guys and gals, let's hop into this update. Let's start with uh, this one. Uh, this is I got this because uh, Castle in the Sky... I'm not as familiar with the uh, Japanese animation as I should be, but uh, this is coming up for a special uh, Patreon whole episode, so, you know, I want to check this out for sure. I hear great things from this one, so, yep. And uh, Derek Bourgeois actually is picking that whole week, so it's 1986 movie, so that should be coming up in July sometime, so Castle in the Sky. Gonna enjoy checking that one out. Then what do we got? Another one he's picking. Uh, Color of Money. This is kind of like uh, the same character from The Sting, I believe. Paul Newman, Tom Cruise. I've never seen this one, you know? Terrible, right? I know, I know, I know. But, yep. Excited to check that one out as well. And then we got, you know, something that you guys would expect me to get. Final Stab by David Dakota from Massacre Video. I've not seen this. Looks like a late 90s, early 2000s slasher. I bought it because it's Massacre Video. I'm not sure how I'll feel about it, to be honest. And then we have uh, The Mafu Cage uh, from Scorpion Films. Lee Grant, uh, Carol Kane. Yeah, Scorpion Films has been killing it lately. This is I got this from Ronin Flicks. Yeah, I'm interested in checking this out. I know Jeremy Freeman from uh, The 22 Shots of Moods and Horror enjoys this movie. Good stuff. Yep. I never did get a chance to buy the DVD, so... Then we got some from the um, Kino Sale, The Last Seduction. Um, this is, I heard, like a modern film noir. And they talked about this in the little noir documentary I saw. Uh, so, yeah, they talked about a bunch of this guy, a couple of this guy's movies. So I'm kind of interested in checking it out. Mid-90s stuff, 94. Looks good. Then we have another one from the Kino Sale, The Coast Guard. Uh, this is a Tartan Blu-ray DVD. You know, this one kind of sounds strange. I believe it's a North Korean uh, horror film. But, yeah. Looks like a psychological war horror thing. Not horror, but war is horror. So, you know what I mean. This one. Uh, <laughs> Mavas Sang. 
Uh, I wish I would have looked up how to say that before I made a fool of myself, but too late, guys. Uh, yeah, this is by the director. What did this other director do? I can't remember. He did uh, Holy Motors, which I haven't seen, but this one looked pretty interesting, to be honest. It sounded strange. I don't know how the science works of it. It said something about anybody who has sex with somebody who isn't in love gets a weird STD, so I don't, that just sounds insane to me. Almost as insane and off the wall as something like The Carrier, <laughs> that plot of that movie. Wow. And we have uh, Army of Crime, and uh, this sounds really good to me. They say the real and glorious bastard, so think what that's about. I guess it's based on a true story about a bunch of people that stand up to the Nazi regime, a bunch of people from different parts of the world, different walks of life, different parts of the world. I mean, that same area, but different countries, so sounds good to me. Sounds like it might be pretty intense. Then we have, what is this one? The uh, Orchard and Murder. You know, I had my eyes on this one for a while. This is a Redemption Blu-ray. It's not a very long movie, but it sounds pretty interesting. Uh, what's it say? It was made originally for like a double feature with something else. So, yeah. Oh, we have a a John uh, Roland movie. A School Girl Hitchhikers. I have a bunch of his movies. This is one of the last ones I needed on Blu-ray. So, yeah, I grabbed it during the sale. This one, I think, is more of an exploitation movie, less of a horror movie. Nothing wrong with exploitation. <laughs> that's that's got to be a funny sentence, right? Uh, space Raiders. This looks fun. I love space operas. Uh, I'm probably the only person in the world that likes Battle Beyond the Stars better than the Star Wars movie. I shouldn't say that. It may not be true, but I like it. This looks fun. I don't know if it's very good. It looks cool, though. What else do we got? Of course, we had to get... City on Fire. Looks like a disaster movie. Leslie Nielsen, Henry Fonda, Shelley Winters, Ava Gardner. Yeah, it's going to be good. Leslie Nielsen plays a prick. I love jerk Leslie Nielsen. I love him in Day of the Animals. I love him in Creepshow. I could watch a marathon of just Leslie Nielsen being a jerk to someone. He's so he's not supposed to be funny, but it's just so... He's such a jerk. He's perfect. Uh, Knives of the Avenger. This is a Mario Bava flick. Cameron Mitchell in it. Not seen this one. Grabbed it during the sale. I don't know much about this one, honestly. I just grabbed it because it's a Bava, and Bava can do no wrong, and I need to watch all his movies before I die. Okay, then we have some imports. We have Dream Home. I'd seen this. Uh, I had American DVD of it. Uh, I remember this movie being pretty brutal, actually. I think it got a Cat 3 rating in Hong Kong, which is... Cat 3, if anybody knows about that rating system in those movies... Uh, yeah, you know what you're in for. Then we have uh, Peeping Tom, which I've never actually seen. I know, I know, I know. Everybody says it's the greatest, one of the greatest horror movies ever made, and I believe them. That's why I bought the Blu-ray, and I have a DVD of it as well. So, yeah. Then we got Martyrs. I said that before I grabbed it. But, yeah, this is the UK Blu-ray. I saw this movie once. It blew my mind. It was scary. It was disturbing. It was sad. It was just something that I was like, I don't know if I want to revisit that for a while. So I, I, I will eventually. I remember it being the best of the French horror movies and probably, I don't want to say the best French, best French horror movie in modern time for sure. Then we have Gaspar Noe's Love, which I have not seen, but I grabbed this after loving Climax so much. So yeah. Looks pretty cool. I know that there was no DVD or Blu-ray in the States, so shame on the United States of America. Then we got the Arrow Import of Climax. Yes, I love this movie. I thought it was excellent. It was crazy. It was intense. I love the dance scenes. Um, I didn't think I would like it that much, but yeah, uh, had to have it. 
And then, of course, we have one DVD. This is a strange one. This is the collector's edition of uh, um, Shade St. John, the Triggers compilation. This is uh, something that somebody picked on Patreon for next month. And uh, it just looks super bizarre. I don't know much about it. I just don't know what I'm in for, to be honest. And I'm a little scared. Okay. I guess we're going to hop back to the video. Okay, guys. Uh, thank you very much for watching. As always, you guys have a good one.